Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This episode of Everything is the Best is brought to you by the House of Chanel. Chanel introduces a new generation of sustainably developed skincare infused with a high concentration of ingredients and derived from the uniquely revitalizing winter-blooming red camellia flower. Packaged with lightweight glass, organic ink and other bio-based materials, Numero 1 de Chanel forges an unprecedented path of skincare innovation. Numero 1 de Chanel, beauty ahead of time. To learn more about the line, visit chanel.com. This is Pia Baranchini, and welcome to Everything is the Best, the podcast where I get vulnerable and make others do it with me. The goal here is to deep dive into interesting people's journeys, finding common denominators, and hopefully making you feel not so alone. So let's laugh, let's cry, and let's get inspired to live our best lives. have a proper you got rid of it no i just you know i live well maybe i don't know you'll run away from your past you know now i want it so bad. are we rolling are we rolling yeah oh wow <laughs> um we try to keep it natural <laughs> i wish i had it it was it'd be much more glamorous to have a strong aussie accent yeah you think yeah for sure in my dating experience, it's not because it's all the drunk boys in Venice. I mean, aren't they always the most fun boys? The most fun. Oh my God. <laughs> okay, so where in Australia are you from? Okay, I grew up in very rural Australia, a place called Duramba. And uh, it was, you know, an hour away from school in the car every day. No. Yeah, I mean, originally not. Originally, we went to a country school. I have a twin brother. Uh, my mom and dad are farmers. And we went to this like really nice school that was 24 kids in the whole school. Oh no. Um, one classroom and one teacher. And she would go, Mrs. Parks, and she would go up and down the aisle and would teach. The, there was three of us in our grade and then she'd move to the next desks and teach like the one person who was in whatever grade that was. Wow. And, like kind of little house on the prairie adjacent, you know? That's so cool. And I think about it a lot because my mom, we were so remote. I was so lucky I had a twin brother. And That's your only sibling. My only sibling. And we would just play, you know, we didn't really watch 
much TV. There was no video games. We would just play outside all day long. Um, my mom always, to this day, talks about how guilty she feels that we were not in a big city and we didn't have friends. And honestly, we got to exercise our imaginations in ways that I'm so grateful for and just dreamed all day long. Yeah. And then my mom, you know, my mom, a story which I've told you personally is my mom and dad, you know, they're farmers that had it really rough and worked like dogs. They worked so hard. Mm-hmm. And Anyone who's a farmer knows like no rest and you really can't leave. If you don't have money, you really can't leave and go on a holiday. You know, it's just, it's always working. There was animals and vegetables, like mm-hmm. full. Mm-hmm. And it was just the two of them. Just the two of them. That is staff of like, you know, people that worked on the farm. But one of the sort of pivotal moments was my mom and dad hit really hard times. There was a, a succession of things. There was a drought in Australia. The government wasn't giving subsidies. There's all sorts of things that went wrong. And, to keep the farm, my mum and dad started bringing busloads of Japanese and Chinese tourists in for like an Australian experience. Mm-hmm. And my mum and dad just would think of anything we could. And my grandma, when she was alive, anything we could to bring them to our farm, not someone else's. So busloads of tourists would arrive. And in a day they would shear a sheep and my brother and I would, <laughs> would tie cabbage patch dolls to the back of sheep's backs and do like a sheep race so that they could gamble on it. <laughs> My mum laid a steam train by hand across the property. No. My mum was jacked and, and still is very strong for her age. And she built this, she restored a steam train and laid the tracks with some other, other people. And it's not politically correct now, but we also sort of had like an Aboriginal tribe and like a, all the stuff that sort of spoke to like Australian heritage and the outback. And yeah. so anyway, really like jazz hands, vaudeville family, like how can we, how can we create make-believe in the farm? just to save the house. In the end, we didn't, we lost the house, but which is a wild pivot point for me as well and, and shaped the rest of my adulthood. But I, you know, I, I'm sure we'll talk about this. I went into an, a career in advertising and creative stuff. I never went to art school and never went to creative school. I think it was because I spent my teenage years tying dolls to the back of sheep and pretending to shear sheep. And <laughs> but we would throw, we would throw frozen crabs in crab pots. Uh, so the next day the tourists would, think they would catch a, a crab no. in the river. So stuff like that, just like we were just doing it to save the farm. <laughs> and ama- just amazing. That's a lot of pressure for kids. At the time, it didn't feel that way. I mean, of we're all in it, it together. But, and yeah. But, you know, I really came out of that experience, you know, came out of rural Australia and knew the definition of hard work. Mm-hmm. I knew, I loved it. And I it was w- just wildly ambitious. Mm-hmm. Couldn't wait to get out ran as fast as I could away from there and moved to London to go to university, to finish university. How did that happen? I had to find a way out. And my friend, who's still my friend, Kate Madison, she was this woman that had a coffee shop in like the nearest town. Her best friend's husband was a lawyer in London. And I went to law school and I asked her whether she could call him to get me a an internship at the oh, law firm. Cool. So he did. And so that was my ticket out. You ended up going into law. I went, to, I finished law school. Yeah. I was, I was working in his law firm eventually to, to be qualified as a solicitor in London. Yeah. So cool. Wild, wild. How old and were you? This is like your early twenties. Yeah. Tw- uh, 20, 21. Yeah. Not cause I knew, not cause I, I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer, but, and I spent so much time making my presentations look really nice, but didn't really care about writing them. But <laughs> I'm sure you had the most aesthetically pleasing. I did. They were beautiful. Actually, <laughs> I look back at them now. They're amazing. And I, I but I didn't have any role models for, 
a creative person that could pay their own way or, or have no, a job. That was or, not a thing. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there was not that my mom and dad ever told me to be a lawyer, but there was no, there was just no role models for us. There was no mm-hmm. creative person. There's certainly no gay people, you know, gay people were hairdressers. And so I was also very afraid of that. You know, growing up in rural Australia, it's very macho. I was very aware of that. We ended up going to a sort of pseudo military school in high school when we were bullied, my brother and I relentlessly. Did you come out when you were young or was it after you moved? We kind of, we never really in, in a way. Mm. We were very, we talked to our parents about a lot of stuff. When we kind of hit school, high school, we were like, oh, we need to like put a pin in it. My brother too. And then like really took me many years to have a proper discussion with Mm. them about it. But I was by that time living across the world. Yeah. And, you know, sadly, I guess in some ways. Yeah, so super interesting. And what a, what a crazy adventure. And then, I, you know, I think one of the privileges of a well-lived life is having chapters. Yeah, And oh, I really absolutely. feel like, I know, I know I've got some more to do, but I feel like I've had chapters already. Yeah. And moving to London, you know, being six foot three and 20 years old mm-hmm. in London, fresh off the farm <laughs> in London, you know, I'd never even been to a bar, let alone been with a person. Or did you lose, did you go wild? Or were uh, you kind of like, yeah, no, I went, well, I mean, this is pre-internet, pre-dating apps. Yeah, the but, same thing with me moving to New York. I lost my, I went wild. Yeah, I went wild. Well, <laughs> I was very shy. Like I hadn't really the skills to know how to go wild, but I know I wanted to. And <laughs> I think, you know, the story, I really wanted to like, you know, I, I had never even kissed a guy and I wanted to. I was so nervous, um, so self-conscious. And I don't know why actually looking back on it, but anyway, I thought I'd be less self-conscious if I worked in a bar. So I started working in a bar and so I'd finished at the law firm. I'd roll up my suit in a backpack and I'd go work serving beers. And then I used to, I was so good at it. I used to make more tips than anyone. I'd know everyone's name. I know mm-hmm. all the regulars. I'd look for them in the crowd. It was such a flirt and then ended up sort of working in my underwear, serving beers for, you know, six nights a week. I don't think... I think that every single person needs to have a service job like that. Oh my God. Where they yes. know how to serve people, where they make their customers happy, where you learn how to have rapport, how you learn how to have boundaries with people who don't yeah. want to talk to you. Yeah. I think that should be mandatory life work. Well, that was actually the, one of the turning points. I was so lucky because there was a guy that came in one day. He used to come in a lot. He was very nice. He said, you know, Richard, you're so good at dealing with people. You're great. You're, you know, with the bar. it was one of those bars. It was kind of a club bar. It was packed. You always have like three or four layers of people deep to get a drink. And he's like, you're so good with people. You're so good at dealing with assholes. You're so, you always have a funny story. You should work in advertising. And that's, and then he gave me a job in his advertising agency. So, so that was like my first, then I was like, I'm not going to be a lawyer. I'm going to work in this. And so that was such a lucky break. And, uh, those things ha- like, that's how I ended up at Parsons was, a, was, I was a hostess at a restaurant and it was a conversation I had with someone who told me about the school and ended up kind of like, whatever. It was like one of those moments where it's like, it's because you're engaging with people and yeah. you're being your true, most authentic self that someone else sees your light yeah. and can help a guy do something. A hundred percent. Yeah. Keeping- people don't, people think that they have to follow some sort of recipe, but it's a, ve- it can be a little mistake that you were very nice to someone and a door opens. It's, that's the most amazing thing about just st- you know, standing in your own two shoes mm-hmm. and just like being curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it and, happens when it's, when you're ready for it too. It's weird. It's all that yummy universe. Stuff. And when you're not, you know, I think my mom and dad always said like bite off more than you can chew. And I was always doing that, you know, mm-hmm. I was so broken London. And I was always like suiting up to like, you know, I was hustling my way into everything, not mm-hmm. in a bad way, just in a really Same. like, 
I'm That's here. Great. I don't have a visa. I'm here trying to like make it work. And, you know, that kind of energy then carried me and I moved to Italy then and then to Sweden and then to America. How did you move? To, what would you move to Italy for? I moved to Italy at the time. I still did. Benetton has a, uh, a program called Fabrica, which is sort of a design oh, yeah. school in, in rural Italy. And I heard about it at the agency, went there. Uh, at that time they had uh, this is when Benetton was at its heyday. Benetton's an underrated company in the States. People don't oh understand God. how pivotal it is, especially in Italy. Yeah. I mean, but then this is, you know, late nineties, it was still Biggest wildly deal. powerful. Mm-hmm. And at the time was doing, you remember they were doing this sort of advertising. No one's brave enough to do the, the, the stuff about immigrants and death row mm-hmm. and HIV and, and, you know, fashion advertising filmed and, you know, Kosovo and in uh, refugee camps, that sort of stuff. It was wildly brazen and bold. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in today's cancel culture today, you can't, where you can't say anything bad about anyone. They were really out there. Mm-hmm. So it was a really electric place. And so they had this program, 24, something like 24 kids a year. They used to have thousands of applicants and you'd go and you'd work there in this villa in the Italian countryside and you just make stuff. We would, you know, they do campaigns for people like, wow. and Benetton stuff. They built, when I was there, I got accepted. I was there. We, you know, built a car and we, for Ferrari or something. And, and Benetton's yeah. like his dream company. No, I was some, I mean, I think in, I mean, I heard the whole thing was as a school, as a huge, delightful tax deduction for Benetton, but the, <laughs> the, the genesis of it was so audacious. Yeah. And Oliviero Toscani, who was the, photographer and creative director who did all that Benetton work, who really put them on the map. He was running the Fabrica. And, you know, I just remember he would, none of us, I remember in my, my year that I was there when I was admitted and was like an African dancer and a Japanese fashion designer and a straight in lawyer. And like mm. these people who had never done this and he'd always be like, this is why things will be good because you guys have never done it before cool. and throw us in the deep end. Mm-hmm. And, and anyway, I really didn't, he, he was a, wildly energetic, demanding, frightening man. Anyway, one day he said, oh, you know, Richard, you've got a fire in you. And the editor in chief of a magazine called Colors, which was the Benetton Mm -hmm. magazine, had just left. He's like, will you take over the magazine? And so here I am, 20 something. No. Back at talking about biting off more than you can chew. Yeah. Running this magazine that's printed in 16. Yeah, it was a wild thing. And I can't, do you still have copies of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I became the, the creative director of the magazine. Colors are such a good name too. And printed in 62 countries. I'm in this like- Unbelievable. You know, so really like in this point, early 20s, got this very demanding, and just threw a very demanding job that I just threw myself into every day, every weekend, every night, and sort of, you know, found my way through it. And then um, long story short, I was at a conference in Sweden and about publishing. And this is, remember, when magazines were amazing. The biggest deal. And sat next to this old man and he said, you know, what do you think of magazines? And I said, I think they're terrible, especially American magazines. Mm-hmm. And I'm in my 20s. I sort of want something that's about, that's meaningful. I want sort of Playboy meets MTV meets mm. CNN. I want to hear about activism and politics and the environment. And, you know, Benetton was a very politically charged place. Everyone had opinions on those things. And so I said, you know, I don't, I don't want to read about Britney Spears and I don't know where to find that like national geographic, you know, era of social commentary. Anyway, I kind of, I must've sounded a little bit rambunctious and we had this long chat with this man and then I went back to Italy and I remember landing in Italy and the phone rang and this man 
was sort of like the Rupert Murdoch of Scandinavia. And I didn't know that. And he said, well, if you, he said, I was really impressed with what you said. If you think, if you think you can do that magazine, move to Stockholm, I'll give you the money to do it. (laughs) So I moved to Stockholm in the middle of winter and I started a magazine (laughs) that was about politics and activism and the environment. Global or like? That was the intention. I mean, he gave me money for the first two issues. I was, and I, and that got me to New York and I started Mm -hmm. working on it there. And uh, with some designers in Oregon, weirdly in Portland. So I was running back and forward and produced something that I thought was... What was that called? It was called Milk. And uh, I was so proud of it. It's beautiful. And still, I look at it today. It's really something beautiful. And long story short, I remember going to... I haven't thought about this in so long. Going to New York, I had a meeting with Hearst Publishing, who was going to potentially be the partner. Mm. A bunch of guys just laughed at me and they're like, this is, this is never going to work. There's no celebrities. There's no, there's no editorial content about beauty brands or whatever, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. And they, they were really rude. And they said, you know, we're, we're not interested in, and, and we didn't get a, a publisher in America to, to work on distribution. We were, they were going to close it. So that was when I was like, oh my God, we know we're, we're, we're done now. We're mm-hmm. finished. And uh, I remember sitting on the curb in New York, outside the Hearst building <laughs> in New York. And I was, crying. I was so upset. And it's not was, a New York moment. If you haven't cried in front yeah, of like yeah, a big yeah, yeah, deal, yeah, like I true. cried in front of Vogue, like it's, you have to, you have to, your tears need to hit the ground of a sidewalk. In yeah, New York. indeed they did. <laughs> but I remember going, there was this magazine that about the same time called Nest Magazine. I don't know whether you remember it. Mm-hmm. It's a wild interiors magazine with this guy, Joseph Holtzman as the editor in chief. And so I, I was I stood up, I got to a payphone. I called the number on, I know he was like one of my idols. I called him up I said, look, I know you don't know me from a stick of gum, but I, I came to New York. I tried to start a magazine. I really just got booted out of on my ass. Can I just come up and talk to you? So I went to his office right then and there. And he gave me this pep talk that was just like, this is great. Like these, this setback is exactly what you need to like get mm-hmm. it right the next time. Anyway, I didn't have a visa. I was scrambling. I went back to working bars. I was, then I sort of freelanced in some places. Or this is a sidetrack. I hope this is the the right commentary. It is good commentary because um, this is the in-between stuff that nobody talks about. It always just, my whole theme for the podcast was how did you go from zero to yacht? So yeah, yeah it's good. Like okay. in New York, yes, you were, like I worked at a million bars. You million, have to. million <laughs> bars, million bars. And I didn't have a visa, but I have an identical twin brother. So I would go to Canada for the day. Mm-hmm. I'd swap passports. I'd come back as him. I'd come back as me. I'd come Smart. back as him. I'd come back as me. And, and where so, was he? In Australia. Okay. He FedExed me his passport. And so I'm sure we shouldn't say this publicly, but Whatever. this is just pre 9-11, uh, yeah. just before like that stuff would, would be hard to do now. Sort of slowly but surely found my way back into magazines, ran, started in a few magazines and then in and out of Time Inc. And, you know, interestingly worked for a magazine called Suede, which was Time Inc. had bought Essence and they wanted mm. to sort of do a black Vogue, black, some, black Marie Claire, something like that. And- I was like, oh my God, that's what's wrong with America. You know, this is exactly the wrong attitude. You shouldn't have a black Marie Claire. Marie Claire should be inclusive enough for everyone to mm-hmm. love it. And remember, this is 25 years ago. And so I got really angry that when they asked me to work there and then I sort of gave them my rent and they said, oh, if you feel, so, and especially coming from Benetton where we were all about diversity. And of course. We, many decades before everyone else was. They said, oh, if you feel so strongly about it, maybe you should work there and run it. And so that was another magazine and, uh, Anyway, long story short, that's how I sort of started my advertising agency. They closed that, yet again, they closed that magazine. And uh, (laughs) we, 
as you know, I have an, ag- an advertising agency in New York mm-hmm. now, but at the time called Chandelier and at the time I used to, I thought this ad sales team was so lazy. So I'd go on all the ad sales calls. I would be in every meeting, even though I was actually running the magazine, I was designing the magazine. I also was going to the ad sales meetings because if you, you know, you obviously can sell something better if you, you made it yourself. So I used to think they were really just lazy, lazy. So I was like, okay, let me just do it. That's and, so uh, smart. No, I mean, I just wanted, I cared about it. So, do, you know, if you care, you have the most to lose because you cared the most about yes. it. And I was spent wildly on the magazine. I remember I used, once a month, I would go up to the floor where they, you know, the accounting floor of Time Inc. <laughs> with a stack of invoices. And <laughs> there was this woman there who I won't name, who I'll never forget, who used to make so much fun of me in, in a very derogatory way. It's like, oh, I remember one day she's like, Richard, you spent so much money on photography in this issue. You know, if you had to photograph a football player, you'd put a chandelier in front of him. You'd, you'd rent a chandelier. And so then I became the <laughs> cha- I became like the chandelier guy. They'd be like, here's the elevator would open and she'd be like, here's the chandelier guy, everyone. That is where chandelier yeah. came from. And so when they closed the magazine, I said to the, I had bought an apartment in New York. And I said, and I was, because I was seeing the ads come through from mm-hmm. the agencies, I could see how bad they were. And I was like, well, how hard can this be? So I said, and really with no contacts, well, not really. I had a few, which I maybe get to in a second, but she said, you know, here's the chandelier guy, the chandelier guy's here. So when, when they closed the magazine, <laughs> I mortgaged my, uh, sold my apartment. And I said, well, said I would sell my apartment and got all the stuff together. And I said, I'm going to sell my apartment. I will match your salaries for a year. If you come and work for me and let's start an advertising Amazing. agency. And in that meeting, I said, what should we call it? I don't want it to be about my ego. And someone said, why don't we call it Chandelier? Because they call us the Chandelier people. And so (laughs) I was like, perfect. And so that became the agency. And honestly, for for the first six months, we were just like, just we truly just couldn't find a single client. We just were just like running it. We're hemorrhaging money. We're working in my apartment all around a big table. And then Nordstrom called and said, and I knew the Nordstrom people from going to those ad sales meetings. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want to design all your catalogs and I want to do your campaign. <laughs> and they said, okay, well, we're pitching the job. Come up to Seattle. I think they're in Seattle. And uh, and pitch it. So then I went there and they're like, you're, this is nice. You, you, we, we did a good job. And they say, well, you know, before we give you the job, which at the time was all the money in the world. Those catalog, the Urban Outfitters catalog. Back in the Nordstrom's, day. That was a 100%. big fucking deal. Yeah. And, and for, at the time, like that was all Delia's. the, like would save us. Mm-hmm. We were like right at the end. They said, <laughs> we want to come to see your office. We want to make sure you guys have the bench for this. We didn't even have an office. Oh, no. And so- Across the street from my apartment, there was an empty office space. And I went to the landlord and I said, I need you to give that to me for a week. And we went to, there was used to be a flea market in New York and Chelsea on 23rd Street. We mm-hmm. went there, we got all these old dining tables. We spray painted them black. We bought them into the office. We went to TechServe, which used to be on 23rd Street. I remember street. that. That's right. It was like the only place to get your computer <laughs> fixed and um, rented these computers. And then... We didn't even have enough power sockets. So we put the screens facing the walls Mm-mm. and hired a bunch of people from Craigslist. No, you did not. Richard. Yeah, they all sat in this office. We didn't know who they were. My cleaning person who at the, at the time was cleaning my house, my apartment, who I loved, who was a great, great friend. He was outside just with the one working phone in the office. He was ringing it repeatedly on his cell phone. So it seemed like we, the phone was ringing. <laughs> so anyway, these people walk in from Nordstrom and they were like, um... You know, <laughs> just like walked. I was so, we were all just like 
terrified that this was going to fall apart. And I was like, look, the office is functioning. I've got all these people. And they were like, yeah, this is great. And so we got the job. (laughs) (laughs) And anyway, I said this story years and years later. So let's get forward years later. We have three offices. Uh, We've got 60 employees or 80 employees or something. We're like growing fast. And I had told the story somewhere. And the person who was there at Nordstrom called me and said, I, you know, we always knew you were full of shit. And, but you were so hungry for it <gasps> yeah. that we had to give it to you. Yeah. And we kind of suspected this may have been a bit of a rouge, but we, we gave it to you. So <laughs> thanks to them, really, thanks to them, I got, we, we, we were able to, you know, start a business. It's fucking incredible. I mean, and- now I think about it. it. But again, just not really, I think about like, same as my mum and dad, you know, we were just doing it from necessity. And, and but you were put, even putting on a show to get we back. We were putting on a show, I mm-hmm. guess. But it was so much fun. And those people from those that that day, you know, that office became my first office. We took the lease. I was about so to say, did you take the those, lease on that office? I did. And then those people became my friends. And, you know, they're still my friends. That is almost 20 years ago. You know, I was in my, I was in my early 20s and uh, just making this stuff up, you know. So, but we did it. And like slowly we became grown up and we started doing good work and really great work. work. Can and you name some of the clients that you've... Hermes is yeah. a big client. Cartier <laughs> is a big client. And and big and small, like Target here is, mm-hmm. was a long-time client and all sorts of stuff. You know, 17 years of clients. So, so many people. Wow. People I loved. I mean, I loved every one of those until the most recent sort of chapter. That was my life for, so, for all that time. And we grew and grew and I, you know, I... I don't know, it was sort of, uh, you get onto the, you sort of get onto the circuit at that point. And all yeah. I cared about was making sure that business survived and, and thrived and, mm-hmm. was, and flourished and opened an office in Hong Kong and then opened an office in Paris and just became, just worked to get as good as I could at doing that thing. Yeah. So but then cool. also like at the same note, you know, sorry, I'm just talking, talking, but. This is what a podcast is. Okay. This is what a podcast is. <laughs> This is a very different medium for you. You know, kind of maybe kind of gets us to sort of where we are now, where I had turned 40. I was wildly exhausted. Mm-hmm. I was so out of alignment. I didn't even know. I was on a plane all the time. Yeah. I was so unhealthy. And that was so, my thought when you said like so many offices in different countries is like you could not have had a break because you had to be so, managing all of that. And knowing so what a perfectionist you are too, it's not like you were letting those offices run on their own, obviously. Well, I think you also, when you're in that industry, you bec- you have to become the front man for of all course. of it. So you, and then people want you to be in every meeting and all this yep. sort of stuff. So I was very grateful for the that time and all those people who trusted us with their brands that they had worked hard to start. But I personally was sort of just like slowly unraveling. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, got to, found this house in Los Angeles, moved to Los Before Angeles. Before Flamingo though, mm. was Mermaid first? So we had, um, we did. We've never talked about Mermaid, but mm. when I first saw Flamingo Estate, which is way before we became friends, yeah. I was like, who the fuck is Richard Christensen? Uh-huh. And found Mermaid. <laughs> so Mermaid Ranch was, I guess now I've set the table, you, you know, like everyone was working at that pace. Everyone was invested. These people who were there at the beginning who had that now have got married and have had kids and are, mm-hmm. you know, my, my heart is in their lives, you know? Totally. I was like, this is not sustainable. New, as you know, New York is that city where everyone works till 11 p.m. and then mm-hmm. everyone has a cigarette and a drink and like, it's not a healthy place. And so I said, why don't we get a house on the beach. That's what it was for. Originally for everyone to just take, to work there and take your boyfriend and girlfriend and your kids and your, you know, everything, your wife, your husband. And so 
uh, we had a we had a house in Montauk, which then moved to East Hampton. And I had bees there and we had a big garden and they were both, each of them were on the water and people got to work there. It was hooked up to the office server. So, cool. and the, the work that they did in the sun sitting in the garden was much better than the work they did in the office. And in the winter we had a ski chalet and, you know, this, I hope this doesn't sound, you know, boastful because it, the, it was, it was humble-ish, but also like a genuine intention to just like, make people's day-to-day work experience mm-hmm. and my own work experience more joyful. And so, and then obviously we would, when we were not, when the team wasn't there, we would ask people to come. We'd have artists come all the time. We'd have mm-hmm. uh, writers come and we have, I mean, I met the most interesting people. We would ask people to apply and they would come for a residency and hundreds of people so came cool. in. Hundreds and hundreds of people came in. Because I feel like that almost set the stage a little bit for Flamingo, right? Mm. I mean, it must've been interesting to have like a physical, like a home that also can do so many things. Yeah. I mean, I think the truth is as an agency, it's sometimes hard to talk about your work because you're on an NDA with a client or you can't talk Mm. about it or they won't let you or they don't want to give you credit. And we needed a way for people to hear about us. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, every time- Not getting credit must be hard. Yeah, sometimes, but you know, people, some brands want to I get you know, it. Don't but want to like, it you know, be. see behind the, the the curtain, which I get. And so every one of those, and for me, like every one of those homes, every one of those properties was sort of a th- design theme. I would, you know, really get excited about researching it. And we would cr- always, and in, in our work as well, we'd always start with a fictional story we'd write. And so Mermaid Ranch was a story about mm-hmm. an Italian sculptor and an American That's not musician. a real story? No. And, you know, who... <laughs> Fell in love and like had a had this crazy affair and they they built this house and and so the house was filled with sculpture it was filled with antiques yeah. it was filled with Italian music it was filled with mm-hmm. Italian furniture like, so we would so cool. always create those stories and then build around it and even when we had a creative job at the agency we would do the same thing we'd say like what's the story and we'd always start with a fictional story and that would sort of anchor everything and uh, which we loved and so to have a physical manifestation of that was great. That you and, could show off to people and let people Yeah, and more importantly, we could show off to press and, you know, the New York Times would cover it or mm-hmm. Elder Core would cover it or something. And so then, you know, another opportunity for us to get, you know, to keep ourselves in the conversation as At a business. At what point did you work for Martha? I want to get that in here because she wrote the forward to your book, which she is did. the world's most complimentary forward of all it is very complimentary sweet, forwards. It? I met her originally through a friend who was working for her, mm-hmm. not through work. And my friend was going to her house for the weekend and said, would you come? And I, as her guest, mm-hmm. and I was, I was like, no, I oh my God, I'm just going to be so nervous. What am I going to talk yeah, to Martha about? Martha Stewart's house. And I remember, and we were flying on her jet to her house with her. And I was like, I'm in her house in Maine. Oh Martha rocked up on the plane with her dogs and baskets of croissants and... <laughs> was so baskets of crystal so, but she just picked up from a bakery yeah. and she was so warm and wildly curious mm-hmm. and you know when you meet someone you're just like uh, we're gonna be friends yep i really in my heart i felt that you know we went to her house that weekend and we went apple picking as a group and then martha asked some, one of the one of the chefs that was there she's like oh could you make an apple pie but please make sure you don't cook the crust first so it doesn't get soggy and then put the apple like she told him how to do it and I, and he didn't do it the right way. I remember. Mm. And then, but I do remember thinking 
this person will never ask someone to do something that they don't know how to do themselves. Mm. And it was such a good lesson Mm -hmm. because I do think, I remember at one point the car broke down and the chimney had to get fixed and all this stuff. And she clearly, calmly and politely told everyone how to do it. And I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, it's because you know how to do this stuff. You've Mm -hmm. taught yourself. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I love that energy with all my heart, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, and at that moment, I was like, I'm going to be that person too. I don't know how to do it all, but I'm going to find out how to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to learn how to do all the stuff I want to do. So anyway, a, a little while later, then I got to work with her on some stuff after that. But th- at that point, we we got to know each other and slowly we um, became friends. And I love her. I love her. I love Martha. I love her. I love I mean, her so much. The dream. Yeah. Her presence on Instagram has really like given her... It's so funny because you think is Instagram is such like a flat space, but mm-hmm. to me it's given her so much depth because I'm so used to seeing her so curated in her books and in her TV, sh- you know, within her cooking shows. And I mean, I obviously grew up on Martha. We had a subscription to the magazine, yeah. like whatever. Like yeah, yeah. My mom still has so many of her tear outs of her recipes. So sad. It's all online now. I mean, it's not, but you know, I loved the tangible feeling of the magazines and, and to see her just be like funny on Instagram. I'm like, oh, Martha's like a fucking such a cool funny person. person. Oh my gosh, she is. She's <laughs> like, funny and naughty. Mm, and um, yeah, she seems like mischievous in some way. She is. Yeah. We actually have, I shouldn't say this, but when we, Flamingo now, you know, my new business, we, in our sort of loose company brand book, we're like, what's that tone of voice? It's drunk Martha Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> we want to be really smart, but we want to be really fun. Yeah. Okay, she's well, with great. that, tell mm. us about Flamingo and <laughs> Just appeared on the Ellen show. Was on Ellen last week. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is such a big, I still, I mean, I know you're such a big deal, but I still think of it as such a discovery. Uh-huh. You I know, mean, like it's such a. Well, should, I should share, I should share how it started. Yes. Because the story um, of the house is so cool. The house is a very cool house. It's seven acres in the middle of suburbia and very quickly got that house sort of by a funny fluke and then restored it. A total it. fluke. Yeah, yeah. A total fluke for a bargain and with no intention of moving to Los Angeles and, you know, never, I don't even, I still don't have a driver's license. You know, I really had no intention <laughs> of living in a car, that, uh, living in a car all my life here. Anyway, got this house, restored it, restored it, the garden. My mom and dad came from Australia. We planted 600 trees. Oh. And, you know, I did, just to, to finish the, the thought from a minute ago, it was exactly what I needed. You know, I mm. think about like, almost like we were restoring the house. I was also re- like re- bringing myself back to life. So mm. I had a, had a breakup, which was really hard. I, and you know, when things fall apart for people, they go back to the garden mm-hmm. or they go back to nature, you know? Mm-hmm. And I did, I started eating better. I started spending time in the garden. I started taking baths and the, the, the water from the, the bath and the shower run directly into the garden. And I noticed that our plant and my roses were turning brown because of my fancy hand soap and body wash mm. from the brand we all know and love. And so we started making our own. I was like, and that was the first time I remember turning the label and being like, Oh, mm. why? And then researching that very quickly, having used this brand for a decade, and I was like, why would I put this on my skin? Yeah, it's not scary. If I can't put start. it on, on my plants. I know. So we started making soap. I was, I had, my, as you know, my parents are honey farmers. So I had, I always had bees in the garden. We were making honey. We were making candles. And were you living at the house? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. I still do. And um, as you know, and. But when you first, I, this, this was like, you're like, this is my home. 
I, I was like, I'm done with New York. I've got this rid of everything. I like, got rid of everything and moved. Mermaid Ranch, the office, like everything. As I'm moving into Los Angeles, we're going to open an office and moved and open an office. And then, I, you, as you know, uh, open an office just down the street from the house for the agency. And then was like, oh God, there's no bookshops here. There's no creative resources. So mm-hmm. I opened a bookshop, yeah. which was sitting in now. Just so we had, so the creative team had resources. Los Angeles is the center of the world's imagination and there's no good bookshops. Okay, three know, good bookshops, but you have to drive an like hour. It's New York where there's like, you no. walk by a McNally Jackson or something. There's A hundred percent. And I wanted to read French Vogue in the Both and had to drive to Santa yeah, Monica no, to get it. No good magazines, right. but not nowhere so, around here. I was like, how hard can that be? Let's just do it. And so anyway. What's cool, by the way, as an outsider, and I obviously never told you this, is Davide and I have come into the bookstore many times and you had these really cool shelves that had cutouts in them. So mm-hmm. you could see behind the shelves and back there were like, was create was chandelier. Yeah. The agency was around the edges and the bookshop was in Which the middle. Was so incredible to like go to fucking brunch and then like walk in and like look at books and just feeling the feeling of like insanely talented people behind the walls of the books was really a cool feeling. I kind of wanted this space. It was both our office and a store, a very cool. big store and a very big office, I guess. But Energetically, I felt like in New York, we were like up, we were on the top floor of a building. It was a little bit like mm. away from everyone. I wanted to be down on the street at street level with people mm-hmm. getting inspired. And so there was a little bit of a, like a breaking down of 20 years of bad habits in New mm. York. Really, I mean that in hand on my heart. It was just like trying to figure it out. And where did the name Flamingo come from? Oh, so Flamingo, Flamingo just was very simple. It was just a big pink, it was a pink, it's not a big house and it was one bedroom. It's a pink house on the top of the hill. It's so funny that the house is one bedroom. I know. Right? <laughs> and everyone thinks it's like a hundred bedrooms. It's a one bedroom house. And that I just made it up. I was like, let's just call it Flamingo Estate because it's it's pink. But this is a long time before we did anything yeah, with it course. as a business. And anyway, so to, to finish that story, I had started making candles and honey and soap and that sort of stuff and hand soap. Jeff, who runs the garden, who you met, mm-hmm. my my colleague and my friend, he said, I was going to Hong Kong for a work job for Chandelier. And he said, take this tincture. It'd be really good for your jet lag that they had made in the garden. Mm. And I was like, this is so woo woo. This is so stupid. Mm-hmm. You guys, are, you're all crazy, but I'll take it with me. So he put it in my luggage. I remember landing in Hong Kong, taking this tincture and feeling amazing. And I was like, wow, this is not, this is not Mm woo-woo. Maybe there's something here. And that was like the start of, maybe it's a little bit what I said about Martha. You know, I didn't know how, I didn't, I'm not a herbalist. I'm not a chef. I'm Mm -hmm. not a doctor. I'm not a nutritionist, but I wanted to learn all that stuff for myself. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so then just like started doing that stuff. And then should I share then how Flamingo as a business started? Yeah, because it's, it's from an outsider. I don't, I mean, the impact for me going one day and being like, wait a second, there's this cool, by the way, I grew up five minutes from here. Yeah, yeah. So to have something like this happening in Highland Park mm-hmm. is so random. Totally I mean, random. It's, it's like an undermining word, but it's like incredibly random. And then to have it, you know, I spent so many years in New York and you moved to LA and you kind of understand that you're like going to lay on your back and just take a bunch of cheesy shit for a long time. Right. You're like, I'm going to, I can't do New York anymore. I'm going to be healthier and easier and be in the suburb, but you're going to sacrifice a level of sophistication (laughs) 
with it. And so when I saw the house and I saw that it was closed, I mean, I don't think you understand how much I freaked out. It freaked <laughs> fucking out because I also was like, made me feel a little bit better about moving back because I was like, things are happening and they're happening very close to where I live. Yeah. They're not happening in Hollywood. And, and, yeah. and I don't, it's like, it's all happening. Yeah. And then I went to a party at the house. Well, actually it's funny. You said that like, the, oh very, we, just before COVID, we had a party at the bookshop. Uh, who was it? We, we used to have so many book parties here. Cause I said, I wanted to bring my heroes in. And so mm. we had the Masoni family came for their book opening. They had a cool party yeah, at your yeah. house that I invited to that. Jürgen Teller came. Someone stopped me outside the store. There's a huge crowd for Jürgen Teller. And he said, oh, hey, Richard, I don't know whether you remember me. I'm uh, whatever, whoever it was. He's like, oh, you know, you interviewed me to be an intern. Aww. And you told me that you wanted to bring your heroes here. And I thought you were full of shit. <laughs> and here I am standing in line waiting for Jürgen Teller in Highland Park. He, he was from Highland Park. And, um, oh, what a moment. Yeah, Richard. it really was. And Brad Pitt came to that party, I remember. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, <laughs> and that was just before COVID. He lives over here now, too. Literally just before COVID. Mm-hmm. We had one more party for Kelly Wurzel's book. I and, remember that, yeah. Which was like the last party. And then, I mean, you, I, I hope you remember we used to have a party in the bookstore and then we'd have mm-hmm. a dinner at the house up the street. And it was, we sort of had it down. We used to have parties all the time. And then I just heard, rumblings about this thing called COVID. And then two things happened, which will never happen again. Uh, the first one was the age, very quickly, very quickly, the agency lost all of its clients. Everyone just stopped spending money. A lot of our, a lot of our work was mm-hmm. hotels and travel related or obviously fashion. Mm-hmm. And people just reduced their budgets. Let's put it on hold. Let's put it on ice. Let's come back next season. Like no one was sure what was going on, but mm-hmm. net net, we lost almost everything. Mm-mm. So there's 60 people with nothing to do. And you know, I, I think I may have said it in the beginning, my mom and dad lost their farm. Yes. Yeah. I was terrified of losing my business. Mm-hmm. It's the thing that kept me going. It's the thing that kept me running. I was so terrified of it. And all of a sudden, in, in a matter of two weeks, it's starting to manifest. I was like, oh my God. Our overhead's huge. We've mm-hmm. got three huge offices. We've got all these people. And I could see the the edge of the cliff. I knew how much money we had in the bank. I knew we were hemorrhaging it very quickly. Mm-hmm. We used to live off television advertising money, you know, so the multiples mm-hmm. on that production is, is high and very healthy. But you start, you know, to be on retainer with someone for seven years and then have it stop. Oh my God. Seven, yeah. It was just like the rug got pulled out from us and, and many people, many clients. Anyway. So then, so there was that one thing that was one. The second thing that happened was Jeff said, I have a friend who's a farmer who's going to lose her farm because she grows vegetables oh. for restaurants and the restaurants are closed. So I was like, fuck that. Let's bring, I know how to sell things. Why doesn't she bring her vegetables to the bookstore? The bookstore is closed now we'll sell her veggies in the car park. And I think she thought that we could sell a dozen vegetable, dozen boxes of vegetables that first Friday of COVID. We sold 300 that first Friday. We sold mm. 600 the next Friday. <laughs> and now, as you know, a year and a half later, we've sold, we have 35 trucks. We've delivered to 150,000 homes. And that little farm box from that one farmer became a second farmer and a fourth farmer and a 10th farmer. We now have 75 farms to grow for us. And... You know, I think at that time, everyone, I was just asking everyone like, oh, the barman across the street, the waiters across the street, do you guys want to drive delivery trucks? Do you want to deliver oh, vegetables? Yeah, because yeah, logistically making that happen. But also remember, no one had any work. Everyone was like, what are we doing? So mm-hmm. people were happy for a job. I was happy to give it to them. 
But we were making up as we went along. The health department closed us down for selling vegetables in the bookshop. So we started delivering them. And we, then we got a warehouse. And we really kind of, act, and sorry, to, to join the two dots together, the, my team at work at the agency who've spent their whole careers doing luxury goods, working on Cartier, working on Hermes, who are such snobs and very talented. <laughs> so talented though. I was like, can, I know you guys just want to work on fashion, but can you, now you're in charge of stone fruit and you're in charge of mushrooms and you're in charge of citrus go. Mm-hmm. And I think because they had, and we all had that lens of, you know, luxury goods for, for our whole careers. We got to put that on vegetables. Yeah. And I think, so that's why maybe very quickly, we just sort of started to establish a little world. My friends that were photographers were not traveling. I said, come to the garden, come shoot vegetables. Mm-hmm. And so very quick, this all happened in a couple of weeks that all of a sudden I, and it kind of like, not just from a business point of view, but from a personal point of view, I was like, oh, I love this. I'm mm. cooking, I'm eating well. Mm-hmm. I'm having such a good time. I'm yeah, learning so much. For people who don't know and don't live in California in conjunction with the boxes mm-hmm. were recipes. Yeah. Recipes every week. So I also was like, oh, how do I cook? How do I cook this stuff? Which is, by the way, was so smart because oftentimes people would get it like a lot, not a lot of people know what, what to do. Yeah. With, with a box like, of cause it was like winter fruit or whatever. 100%, yeah. like a weird radish, you know, right. like, I mean, it's and it right, brilliant. And me included, you know, so I was like, okay. And so chefs that we knew were not working. So I said, come into the kitchen, give us some recipes, show us how to cook it. I'll and put it the online. the most beautiful photographer shows up. And yeah. And we'll I'll photograph beautiful it. Photo. But you know, we were not, we were not from a food world, but. So many of our friends from a food world were so happy just to jump aboard. So, mm-hmm. you know, in a funny way, the property for all of COVID became, the, my home became this like beautiful social place of people who were cooking and mm-hmm. making and talking and photographing. And I feel sometimes a little embarrassed to say that it was actually such a happy, wonderful year for me because we had, mm. in a time when so many of my friends were treading water and having it tough, like we really were like, getting back to basics. And I think for me, like- That was a choice that you made, by the way, because you could have said, you could have done what a lot of assholes did (laughs) and said, I'm filing for bankruptcy. I'm shutting down my business. All my employees can go fend for themselves. And I'm going to sit here in my house that I love and figure out what my next move is. You kept working. You made sure your employees were working and inspired. And you made sure that you were bringing in people from the neighborhood and saving farms. It's not, it's not selfish to say that you had a good year because you worked for that. Yeah, we- a lot of people did. And, and, you know, it was really, I guess the second part of the story was this guy, Martin walked into the property one day. He's like this really handsome young farmer who has an olive farm in up North. And he said, you know, Hey Richard, I've, you know, I've got, I think I have the nicest olive farm up there and it's my olives are grown at the right altitude and the right soil. And I think we can make the best olive oil. Mm. And I was like, well, how, how hard can that be? And let's just give, let's bottle it. And then a citrus farmer and then a flower farmer and this, this biodynamic herb farmer in, in South Carolina was like, okay, I don't know what to do with these herbs. Can we? I was like, let's make tea. Mm-hmm. And so people just started knocking. And you know, obviously that's become 120 products in a year and a half to give you an idea. I only mentioned that because I don't want people, I want people to know this is not my hobby. This has turned into a legitimate business. We you know, we have, we, we plant a tree for every bottle of products, for every, every product we sell this bottle, we've just planted another 150,000 trees. So <laughs> it's definitely real business. I'm, we're in an office on top of a warehouse full of yeah. thousands and thousands of I mean, it would just say, products. 
And, you know, and then obviously the age, at some point, the agency, through the hard work of everyone there, the agency woke up again and clients came back and the, mm-hmm. the wind hit the sails of that. And then I was like, I don't, I don't think I want to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I don't want to go back to that. I love what I'm doing now. I met so many great people. You know, so it's just like, it was such an interesting story. I feel like in some ways, I mean, you just heard the very long story. I feel like in some ways I have been in training for this my whole life. And in another way, I almost feel like I've gone back to where I started because mm-hmm. my parents are farmers and we used to make honey and we used to cook and we used to do, we used to pick vegetables. I'm not doing that as an adult and I'm doing it in a way that you know, I think my mom and dad would be very proud. of chandelier, which is another thing that you built too, by the way. So. Yeah. I mean, I think- and isn't funny, we all run away. We run as hard as, I mean, I'm talking for everyone, but maybe it's not always the case. I at least run as hard as I could away from what I grew up with, mm-hmm. only to find the thing that was wonderful was right under my nose. I mean, I live in the home I grew up in. You do. <laughs> <laughs> you do. You're talking to the exact mm-hmm. wrong person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, like, and that I think is this, I don't know what our desire is to run away from that, but you have to leave to appreciate it, of course. But Your don't, I mean, I don't also so like, I, you know, you, with your story as well, like we were, you know, we had dinner the other night and you show me your, your, your campaign you're in for Glossier, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, was like, years ago. And you look, amazing thank you but you look like a new york girl and now you're total new york girl you've got this like wildly handsome husband who's <laughs> this like italian who by the way beauty. is totally my dad which is very he's like the essence of everything my dad wanted to be that's so interesting and i sleep in my parents old bedroom oh do you really i this is i was conceived my me and my daughter were both conceived in that room <laughs> And by the way, I was in New York and going to Paris all the time. And like, I, I didn't take a job in Spain because I thought, oh, what if I meet a Spanish guy and have to choose between living? And I ended up having to make the same decision with Davide. And we almost moved to Italy. And then we decided right. to stay here. Like, there's just like a series of wild events that always happen. But there is something always. Yeah, there. I don't I don't it's, it's you know, you're, you go back to your foundation. Hopefully, if you were lucky, like we did and, you know, had pay, I think it just comes down to like love and warmth. Right. Like. Yeah. And, and growing up with grit doesn't, it, it really, I don't know, the, the sacrifices there and seeing your parents work so hard for everything. Like, yeah. I can't, like we moved in there when my dad died. Cause I thought like, I've seen how hard my dad worked his whole life. Yeah. His pride and joy was that mm-hmm. house. Mm-hmm. Same thing with your parents mm-hmm. farm. Yeah. Like I will be fucking damned if another family moves in here. I yeah. just can't think of another person like, like knocking down a wall or like swimming in that pool. I'm like, no, this is what my dad worked for. So what lessons do you take away from your dad and your mom? Like, have you course corrected anything with your adult life that you are looking at them? Yeah, totally. But I was a weird self-aware child. My dad had CTE from football mm-hmm. and crazy mood swings uh-huh. that did not were fueled by alcohol a lot of the time too. And so I also have really like gnarly memories of him and always wanted a relationship just like them, but also didn't want a relationship, anything like them. And, but I always, from the time I was young, I I had an empathy for him that wasn't normal for a a high school person to have. Like my, I I hate you for yelling at me or I, he would do horrible things, but he didn't mean them. And I knew he didn't mean them. I knew he was sick. So 
I always wanted to do right by him because I always felt like he was working really hard to give me everything. And I just wanted to, to show him it was worth it. But my other siblings didn't have that because he was mean to them. And mm. so they're very much like, fuck him. Right. You know, but I know I just had this weird self-awareness that like I was looking at an adult that was, that was stuck as a child. It's, it's, I'm specific. And now you have a child. Has that changed your opinion of his or your mom now that you have a kid? Yeah, I feel own? bad for my mom of all the shit. I mean, do you do? Yeah. 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 But I also like do everything for her, but I don't think about it that way. Because <laughs> I snap at her all the time and I criticize her. I'm like, you're messy. You, you know what I mean? Like she's my, she, we live fucking together. So yeah. that's a whole, I don't know. What about you? You know, I think that for me, the only thing really, the one thing is still my mom and dad don't let joy in easily. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't take a holiday. They don't get vacation. They don't really indulge. We had this like a cabinet of beautiful China when I was a kid and we would never use it because we had to wait for, you know, a special occasion. Mm-hmm. We never had a special occasion and, it, you know, got taken away. So I, I think for me and now especially has been like, how do we make, and this is what I'm trying to do for work as well. How do we make everyday stuff, everyday essentials, everyday moments, taking a bath, Joyful. Um, making a cup of tea, mm-hmm. um, cooking. going to sleep, cooking. How do we make that, just wildly abundant and joyful and fun and sexy. And And how balm to your dog's paws. Yeah. Yeah. How do you make your dog smell great? And like those little things. And I I really mean that with my full heart about pleasure being a human right. And I think we forgot that. I forgot Mm -hmm. that. I totally forgot it. And not until I came to LA and this all sort of happened, did I like take stock and COVID, I hope for many people, for me, especially gave me a chance to like really like edit who I wanted in my home you know, I'll never have anyone in my home I don't love. You know, who who I listen to music with, you know. It's ironic I, that you had a cabinet of China you never touched when the China in your home is so beautiful. Oh, no, that's why I will day. only, I, yeah, you, you know, you've been day. there, you've eaten in my house. I will only, I will never, you know, I think like those. The plates that you carried back from. From London. From oh my London. God, do you remember that? Yeah, <laughs> I carried them on my lap. You know, I think life is too short not to let joy yeah. in. Even if it's about just having a good shower. Mm-hmm. And using the best soap and mm-hmm. just like, uh, you know, letting pleasure in. Well, There's no other cheesy way to say it. And, you know, I'm, and now, you know, I have a, a new lover <laughs> <laughs> who I love dearly, who's like totally changed my life and as that's well. that's how we met. That's how we met. Like, so lucky. That was the, by the way, I feel lucky that it was, <laughs> he was like, I'm dating Richard from Flamingo State. And I was like. You're fucking kidding me. <laughs> like, you don't understand. Like, that house has been my goal. It was, was to meet you. That's so silly. No, but. because I, I was just like, who is this person so close to me? You know? All right, and we're then, literally 10 minutes away from and each then other. I heard about the house and then I, I went to two events and you weren't there. But it's, it's such, it's been such an odd thing for people who know about it and don't know you. And now, by the way, you were not face forward on the Instagram until no. recently by any I'm means. I'm still not very... Very much but it's, it's, now it's very personal and it's, you're being very, you're letting everybody know why the intention for everything that you're doing and tying it back into a story. And, and it's beautiful and it's vulnerable and it's so special and it brings context to the products. And, but there was a, a time period there where you weren't doing that. So 
you know, it would like, I would go to a party at the house and then we'd be in the bathroom and someone would like open up a cabinet and all your suits were in there and everyone would be like, who is this man? It was like 007 kind of thing. It was no, like, but also I think in those early so days, cool. I was very, I was very, I had a little bit of imposter syndrome. I was very nervous about like, I'm not a chef. As I said, I'm not a, mm. I'm not any of those things. So I was very nervous about like saying I was mm-hmm. and, but I'm very comfortable now saying I'm not because there's a lot of people here who are, who would, who are working really hard. And I guess like the, you know, what I've, we get, we got to the end of last year. Oprah made us her favorite thing, which was wild and started to like really understand. And Martha and Oprah co-sign are really big. I mean, it's not bad, but really understand like, oh, what we could do with all these beautiful people we've met now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think the other turn back to my roots, I guess, was, and you know this, I have learned especially in the bath and body industry and in the beauty industry, the real lack of transparency with a lot of sourcing stuff. Mm-hmm. I care deeply about the environment. I'm very worried about that too. So really not as like we've pushed through this last chapter. So the next chapter is like, what do we do for significant volume to, to start to like make some change? What, what if rather than working with 75 farms and paying them the, the you know, cause I think and me, we've had this discussion. There's a farm in Ojai, next to the farm we, we grow with who are on contract with a big in agriculture company and they are paid one fifth of the price. The other farms were one fifth of the price that no. they would get at the market by this no. company, but they're on contract. And because they're paid that little, they have to use chemicals. They use pesticides, they use glyphosate. Like they're, they're yeah. pumping that Ojai, that part of Ojai full of chemicals. So what if we could take that farm mm. and take their produce? And pay them fair rate, fair, a fair rate so that they can pay their stuff well, so they can stop using pesticides, so they can slowly turn to be regenerative. What if we can do that with another farm? And again, mm-hmm. 100 Keep farms. And in 10 years' time, we'll be here again. And I can say we're working with 7,500 farms. And all of them are pesticide-free and they're all regenerative and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. So I really feel like they're, it's what I said before, I feel like I've sort of been, I haven't figured it all out, but I feel like I have been in training for this for my whole life. You're really good. Uh, and, and I, from the bits I know about your industry from working closely with it is like what you learn from advertising is, is, and it's my favorite word is to pivot mm. and you are the king of pivoting. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't need, and what's smart about you is you don't need to really know what your long-term plan is because you're going to feel it out along the way and you have the best insights and intuition <sighs> to do so. so. So what is the next Flamingo estate plan? Well, I feel can- like we can we've come out of this, well, we built, we built the plane while it was flying. So we've come out of our first proper year. We did very, very well financially and the team grew quickly. And so now it's about refinement. It's about really dialing down those products, getting a core range. And I think it's just like reach now, you know, and, and really the very best products we can make. We're, we're this year entering to a, a wholesale agreement with a company called Mecca, which is like the Sephora of Australia. So oh, cool. Flamingo is going to be in 150 stores. We have a wall in 150 stores. And it's funny, I went to see them and- Is that why you've been going born. to Australia? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. And my mom and dad are not well. So I've been going to see them when I'm there. And, oh, and where's your brother? Sorry to interrupt. He, right now he's in Australia, but he lives in New York now. But anyway, I was in Australia and I had the first meeting and they're really nice. They're very smart. And they said, you know, we, we potentially want to give you a wall and we're going to put you next to, you know, Byredo and Bully and we're going to, and I was like, you you guys know we're not, like we're not a cosmetics company, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, no, you actually kind of are because good skin is about eating well and sleeping well and 
mm-hmm. kind of like holistically, like, oh, maybe what we did with food is sort of what we can do with everyone's bath experience and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. And let's like make sure we're about having, I don't know, like great sex, great sleep, great calm, like great, just like need states we all feel mm-hmm. and like make that a priority. So anyway, it's, it was such an interesting start to what's that's now cool become a really interesting- saw thing. you for yeah. that in that way. And so let's see, so that's like the big, one of the big things this year. And then, you know, I hope- Can you say what's happening with the old bookstore? The old bookstore is- Becoming a flamingo estate supermarket, let's call it. <laughs> I'm market, so excited. <laughs> apothecary. We're going to have a physical store, which would be great. And uh, and and others, I hope. Just because I think we've got so much, you know, we've got so many products and so many categories now. And that's actually so interesting because I also have never fun- tried to do fundraising before. I mean, you know, I'm trying mm-hmm. to do fundraising now. It's really a whole new skill. I'm the sort of person who never checked their ATM balance at the machine because I don't like money. And so yeah. now having to like get very grown up about that is a thing. And a lot of investors have been, what's your one core product. And I'm like, we don't have a one core product. And they're like, well, we, you've got 120 products. Like this is, <laughs> are you crazy? Like, and you know, institutional investors right now are used to dealing with people who have a single thing, you know, like totally. Gia or like, those, you, you know, investors many of our friends who have those great too. brands they so built, like, like large, right, exactly. And I was like, no, a core idea is pleasure from the garden and that you can live a great life because of the products you use in the bathroom or in the kitchen or, you know, in your home. So it's been a really interesting journey with them. But anyway, so long story short, this year will be a bit of a growth year for us. And I really want the brand to become a touch point for anyone with, with you know, green thumbs and middle fingers. You know, mm-hmm. like we've got the cookbook. We released six other books last year. Terry Tempest Williams' book, Michael Pollan, who did that great book on psilocybin, mm-hmm. Jane Goodall, my friend, and the environmentalist, her book, Seeds of Hope, Erosion, one of my favorite books. It's just a bunch of my heroes. And I want to continue that. I really want us to become a touch point for inspiration. It's funny when I'm, I hope I'm not wrong. We used rem- to include the books with the, this was like when I used to get a CSA box. Mm-hmm. There yeah, were yeah. books. We would just give them away. <laughs> no, but you know, also like, I feel like <laughs> oh, there's so many stories about last year. I remember I said, I want to do a cookbook or a gardening book. And I went to see a big publisher and they're like, oh, you know, kind of a bunch of old men were like, oh, kind of pigeon just as like old lady gardening books or, you know, I think in the green world, so they're like, it's like old lady decorative gardening or it's David Attenborough talking about the end of the earth. And that's kind of man as enemy mm-hmm. and, and nothing in the middle where you're like, actually, no, there's actually a lot of great stories about co-creation and, and, and hope, you know, people. I was going to say that we're, you're missing the hope there. Yeah. Like, they're, you know, let's talk about psilocybin. People are growing mushrooms that is going to help a large part like reduce anxiety mm-hmm. that raspberries are good for sex that mugwort is good for dreaming like there's a lot of stories about goodness and hope that are kind of packaged right now in a way that feel very either agrarian or kind of Etsy and mm. so I'm like no mother, I think mother nature is the last great luxury house and the <laughs> the greatest luxury on earth, right? The, the, those mm-hmm. are the most precious things in the world, what mother nature can make that's disappearing rapidly. So I want to be a touch point for all that stuff. And of course I want to sell shampoo and, and hand soap, but I really, really want to use some money for that stuff too. Well, the book is the most beautiful. Thank you. The it's, cookbook, yeah. It's you know, it's, it's, it's sitting out. We have an area where we put our cookbooks. I haven't taken it off our table in our kitchen because I, it's so, it's just so endless that like, I just flip through it 
we, we all, it's like, and then Davide's flipping through it. And then my mom's flipping through it. Like, like we've never seen it before. We're flipping through it all the time. And then anytime anybody comes over, I'm like, open the book. Like, you know, some, everybody comes in the kitchen and we pour them water or coffee or whatever. I'm like, open the fucking book. And it's just, you just see people get lost in the book. It's just incredible. And I love that oh, you and Harvey did it together because you guys mm-hmm. are so in Harvey, love. Harvey, my, and my lover. Did our, the Barantini olive oil can. He's he a very talented man, that Harvey. He, you know what else he designed? I don't That's know if you know. It's the, so, the pamphlet for my father's funeral. He did this right. I remember that. Yeah. Because uh, he passed away and then they were like, you know, the funeral home was like, oh, here. <laughs> They sent us some examples of like funeral home pamphlets. And I was like, you have to be fucking kidding me. Mm-hmm. Like, my father is not having like Helvetica, you know, whatever times new Roman and this weird layout. And I was like, Harvey, I'm so sorry if you don't mind. And he just made, I mean, it's, we, they're in like a bowl in our house cause they're gorgeous. I got to say like, you know him, you've known him much longer than I have, but <laughs> I fucking love that man. And he has, it's such Oh God, how do I explain this? This is very obvious, maybe. It's so nice to meet someone who just kicks your ass every day and <laughs> makes you want to do better, you know? Like mm-hmm. he's a great, also like- I, I didn't realize what a ball, but you guys have a very like loving, but he has this funny like attitude. He like cute, like ball bust. He's cool. Thing. I'm not cool. You know, he's really cool. He's really cool. And so, you know, we he, we joke, I, if you see us out, you know, I'm- I always look like I work in as a park ranger. I always look like I work on like the Disney Jungle in Cruise like a and total suit. And Harvey is in like a Celine bucket hat. Yeah, like he's a cool guy, and I and, and like I learned Shimashi so much Supreme. from him. And you know, it's just so nice to have that. We're so different, but we push each other in such great ways, and it's really nice. I, you know, when we had everyone listening, and we had dinner with you, you guys, you and David on on Friday, and and you have that same thing too. You guys are such a good hair mm-hmm, you're mm-hmm. such you've got each other's back and it's so nice to have that it's such a new thing and I think also because I was much like you like I, I was a creative person I was in charge of my business I was like that person I was the head of the table in mm-hmm. every way so to have someone now who's like Doesn't the head me. of my table <laughs> great. that's what dominates the same way where he's just like okay cool you're doing like it's it's like very Obviously, they both admire us and are impressed with what we mm-hmm. do, but they're almost kind of like, call me when you're done. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which I love. Like, call me it, when you're done and I'll redo it for yeah, you. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know what? It also, we, you know, what a nice chapter to be able to work on something with, you know, someone that. I mean, you you've made. worked with some of the best creatives in the world. So to fall in love with someone. Yeah. Like Harvey, who like is like to paint like Harvey, like you got to paint a picture of Harvey. He's like has like the biggest ro- like gold Rolex and like- No, uh, but you make him sound like super obnoxious. He's no, not. No, but it's, he's like, he, it's not obnoxious. Like the guy's taste level is so high. high. Refined, yeah. It's he, so He's refined. worked for it though. Obviously he works so hard. And he has the coolest out. Like anytime I'm like, oh, maybe I should get that. Like Harvey's wearing, like, I'm just like, fuck. Like Harvey's just so cool. Yeah. Like it, there was a year where I went to Lisa car and they only had- <laughs> the car in a, in like this random, like, pu- like just weird, not great. I don't even know the to- like normally I can name a Pantone. It was a weird color. And it's not even like Harvey's like my best friend, but I fucking FaceTimed him. And I said, is this color cool? 
Oh, nice. Of this car. Because I just was like, who can I trust the most to have? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Co signed if I'm going to drive around this car for three years. And he was like, oh, yeah, you can pull that off. We well, like know I still seat. don't have a driver's license. I ride my bicycle everywhere. <laughs> just, he has his fancy G Wagon. <laughs> and, you know, we couldn't be more different. But it's just, I wish the younger me knew that that kind of thing was possible. Oh, well, what I was saying is it's incredible that you have worked with the most talented creatives in the world. And, Harvey's mm. graphic taste, like Harvey's taste. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She designed the cookbook. From yeah, a yeah. fucking yeah. design perspective. Yeah. It must like turn you on so much to be like, oh my God, do you like, I mean, nothing is cooler than working with your partner on things creatively. Kind of. I mean, like he, it's a pain in the ass. he'll walk into the office and see like a, a kerning issue or a double space from across the room <laughs> on the pin board. <laughs> So, you know. It brings me back to call the part of the design school. You know? Yeah, he's very particular. But it's nice. I feel like we're not, you know, we we also like, I think we both, um, we're both like like dedicated to like getting stuff right. And so like, I Mm -hmm. think, you know, like for Christmas, we sat down and he's like, you know, know, what's our theme this year? And we'll say, he's like, I think we had such a crazy year last year. We both like worked really hard. This year, our theme is refinement. We're going to do everything really well. Mm-hmm. We sat and we did a, it's so cheesy. We did a, like a vision board and we're like, refinement is our plan. We are going to, if we're going to do it, it's going to be the fucking best it mm-hmm. can be. And it's going to be as intentional and tasteful and, and and beautiful as possible. And so it was nice to come back to work and just be like, okay, everyone, I got everyone together. And I was like, was okay, the, the whole company. fucking holiday campaign. What's that? It, just what you guys did for holiday. Like, oh, the holiday stuff. Thing no, but like- after holiday, I pulled everyone together. I said, okay, everyone like, Everyone, if you're in the warehouse or if you're in the creative team or whoever mm-hmm. you are, this year's theme is refinement and mm-hmm. we're going to do everything really, really well. And so, I know it's nice. And also before we go, cause it seems like you had a lot, because I think this is very interesting. When you first started doing the Flamingo State Instagram and it started becoming really popular, it seemed like the jobs that you're doing now were like allocated to other people. And now I feel like it's almost like the team has gotten smaller. It's a like, very small team. Still. Like yeah. while the warehouse teams and all those things, like the film office, clearly that's growing because you're selling an immense amount of product. And the, by the way, like everyone who drops off products, is like such a cute, nice person that are like happy and enjoyable. And I, hope so. I love when I see someone drop a box off cause it's by my window and I was like, Hey, like it's so cute. But but it, like you do the Instagram. I do. Yeah. I'm in there every day. I write them all. We didn't post today because I was so tired. Yeah. I'm in there. I think so. Because like if I have to do one thing, it's like, I mean, I know my lane, but also like this whole brand is an embodiment of the things I care about. And so yes. I can't really outsource that. Mm-hmm. Javi's always at me about that. He's like, oh my God, you should find some social media intern to do this. Like I would never acquiesce that up. And, uh, you know, I'm in the comments. I reply to everyone. Until very recently, my phone number was on every box. My cell phone number. Yeah, I know. I can't do it now. <laughs> you know, and we've always got, you know, the, you know it's it's funny because like, it, it's a real thing. That is my home. Harvey and I live there. You know, you people know? don't realize that. No, and like- And um, twice I've been to your house where people have shown up. To show, every day someone shows up. to work. Yeah, less so now. Like someone, the other day, Harvey went down to get the newspaper and someone was banging on the door, the gate. It's like, oh, I want to come in. He got very aggressive. He's like, I want to come in. I want to, I want to buy something. And he's like, no, hey, dude, this is a home and this is not a theme park. And so it's funny. It's sort of, um, it really is like, it's my home where we make stuff and we use the soap that we originally made in the garden still. That's what we sell people, you mm-hmm. know? It's funny to me that, I don't know, it's funny. It's funny that like we have a one bedroom house 
and <laughs> and people are banging on the gate the gate to get in there. It's funny, but you know, whatever. I mean, you know, I love it. It's a nice place, but whatever. But, well, thank you. Hey, thank you. That was so fun. <laughs> I'm so excited because you are. No matter now, how I was just saying, no matter how much you're telling us your story on Instagram, there is an elusive past to how this hot Australian guy ended up with a seven acre farm essentially you know I I have this piece of paper in front of me I wanted to say something I have a quote that you reminded me of Mm -hmm. because we were talking about Chanel earlier Coco Coco Chanel said my life didn't please me so I created my life and I feel as though Mm -hmm. always thought of that and on the side of our boxes there's this uh, quote sort of the the has always been there something like the 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 flower doesn't bloom because of the bee it blooms and the bee comes there's this idea of you know, bursting forth into the sunshine on your own mm-hmm. and uh, doing the best you can. I feel like that's kind of what we're, what I'm trying to do anyway. Well, what you're we're definitely trying to do. doing it. Trying to. Anyway, <laughs> thank well, you. Thank you. Thanks, Pia. <laughs> And that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes this week's episode of Everything is the Best. I hope you enjoyed it. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. Maybe leave a comment. But remember, shitty comments are for shitty people. Go ahead and follow me on Instagram at Pia Barangini. And I hope you have a fabulous, fabulous rest of your day. Love you. Ciao.